and then you just pause it that way. Okay, great. Hi. So we're recording this. We're, we're going to just see how it goes. But one of the reasons why I really wanted to record this is because I do feel like the things that we're going to be learning is really important. Um, and yeah, I, I want to make this session as accessible as possible. I know with some people with kids, people who live far away, or people who have really demanding work schedules, I want to be sensitive to them. Um, so yeah, we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, it was great for us to kind of break the ice and hopefully uh, as the night goes on, as the summer goes on, we can get to know each other in a more personal, meaningful way. But like I mentioned earlier, we're going to start with Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to go from Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 all the way till Genesis chapter 2 verse 3. And what we're going to do is, uh, I want this again to be as interactive as possible. Uh, don't think of this as a classroom format. Um, what we're first going to do is read through the chapter and the, and the first three verses of chapter 2 on your own. I'm just going to give everybody a good five minutes. Take your time. Just read it if you want to reread it. You know, don't feel rushed in any way. And then afterwards, I want us to just share with one another um, just some questions, any thoughts, observations. And I'll provide some more detailed instructions about that in a few minutes. For now, just read the passage, just enjoy it, um, and then maybe we'll also, uh, actually, you know what we'll do is why don't we read it out loud first, and then I'll give us five minutes to just kind of let it all sink in. So, um, let's read the first five verses, each person. Uh, I'll start us off, Genesis chapter 1, all the way till chapter 2, verse 3, and we'll go, uh, you know, Raven can go next. So, five verses each. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be and expands in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters and God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse and it was so God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day and God said let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Uh, then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let there be signs and seasons, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. 
And God said, let the water team with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God made the giant sea monsters and all the living creatures that swim in the ocean. He also made every kind of bird. God looked at what he had done and it was good. Then he gave the living creatures his blessing. He told the ocean creatures to increase and live everywhere in the ocean and the birds to increase everywhere on the earth. Evening came, then morning. That was the fifth day. God said, I command the earth to give life to all kinds of tame animals, wild animals and reptiles. And that's what happened. God made every one of them. Then he looked at what he had done and it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them, make, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. All right, so um, before I have you guys just kind of read it on your own, um, what we're going to do for tonight, and probably the pattern just going forward is, uh, has anybody ever heard of like, Observation, interpretation, application. Can you do your Bible studies? Okay, yeah, so I think that's a really great principle. So the, the first thing we're going to do is we're just going to focus on observation. Uh, the second thing we're going to do is interpretation. And the last thing we're going to do is application. And basically, the differences between these is observation is you're just focusing on what does a passage say, what are some interesting questions, what are some things that puzzle you, but you're not necessarily trying to answer these questions, nor are you trying to interpret what you're observing. All you want to do is just observe, state the facts, but you don't really know what these observations or facts actually mean. That's where interpretation comes in, uh, where now that we have a host of observations, one of the observations is, wow, God seems very methodical in the ways that he does his creation. Or I hear this phrase repeating over and over again. What does that actually mean? That's where we tackle those things in interpretation. And then finally, application is, okay, now that I kind of have a, a general idea of what this passage means, how can I actually apply this in my life? How should this change the way I think, the way I relate with God? Is there, are there specific actions that God actually wants me to do based on this passage? So it's going to be basically these three steps, and we want to do these things as interactively as possible. So like I mentioned, I want to give us an opportunity to kind of read through this passage, 
on your own, maybe a couple more times over it. And what we're going to do right now is we're only focusing on observations. I just want you to think about what are some interesting things that you see, what are some puzzling things, what are some questions, what are some things that surprise you, things that you like, that you don't like. Don't worry about interpretation. We're not there yet. And then once you kind of have a mental note, if you want to write it down, you can, of observations, we'll share it in smaller groups and then we'll tackle the interpretation and eventually the application together. So let me give us uh, five minutes and then um, read through the passage on your own and just, tr just try to jot down any observations that you find interesting. So Genesis 1, uh, I'm sure it's a passage that many of us have read before, very familiar, but even though we may have read this many times, it seems like the more we read it, the more questions we have. Uh, but Genesis 1 is so important because not only is it foundational uh, in terms of how you read the rest of the Bible, but if you imagine, like, this is literally the first chapter of the Bible. This is really God's first impression that he wants to leave to all of humanity. So how God portrays himself is really important, and it's almost kind of strategic. So a lot of the things that you may find is just incidental may actually be much more significant than you think. So what we're going to do is um, we're first just going to list out some of the observations. Uh, I'm sure some of these observations overlap. And then once we kind of have a list of these observations, we'll see what does these observations actually mean. And that's where we get into the interpretation part. So um, yeah, uh, feel free to just share any observations uh, that you still, that's still lingering on your mind. If uh, I'm sure most people are shy. So if you want to share on behalf of what somebody else said, that, that's fair as well. But if you share, just also mention the verse number. Because I really want us to kind of make sure that we're, we're reading the passage and that all of our observations are linked to what we see in the text. So yeah, I'll open it up. So I think, I think it was Parker and I. Uh, and anyway, so the guys were saying, um, notice that in, I think verse three, God was talking uh, to somebody. Who was he talking to? When he said, uh, I command light to shine. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Paul just noticed in uh, a later verse 26, was it? Uh, that uh, that uh, something or other, let me check again. Uh, yeah. Who is God talking to? In, in verse 26, he, he's, uh, let Paul us make was saying, man in our image. Yeah, let us make man in our image. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very good. No, that's that's. Uh, I'm sure that's something very important. Um, I noticed that darkness existed before light, mm. but darkness was not created. Yeah, where do you see that? Verse two. Mm -hmm. Yes. But in what? order for there to be a concept of darkness, there has to be light, though. So. Yeah. <laughs> darkness, where did it come from, and how can it exist? I'm just going to put darkness question mark. There's just a lot of questions associated to that. Yeah. Paul was saying about water, too. Where did the water come from, right? Yeah, water is kind of, is, is almost in the same category as darkness. So I'll just put water and darkness almost like a bracket. Where does water come from? Where does darkness come from? So in verse 4, um, God's commenting on what he's done. So when he said previously in verse 3, let there be light, and there was light, and then in verse 4, God says, oh, God saw that the light was good. 
Mm. And it that's kind of a repeating theme throughout the chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that God acknowledges his own work and he describes it as good. Yeah, that's interesting. That happens many times, it seems like, um, etc. Uh, it is good. I'll just put that. What yeah, it keeps that? getting repeated throughout the chapter. <clears throat> hmm. So I guess I have a question related to that. Um, like at this point, like there is no concept of good either. Hmm. <laughs> so like he pretty much like defined it. Yeah. Um, wow. By so, using it in a sentence. Yeah. So what does good even or? I see. So are you saying that he is also creating... So, like, what, similar what to the light and dark thing, in order for something to be good, there has to be bad. Hmm. But there's no direct mention of it. Yeah, that's what we yeah. noticed, too. Yeah, hmm. no mention of evil yet. And evil doesn't exist. But are you saying that because evil doesn't exist, how can there be something that's good? Or are you just saying that's... I think that would, that would just be my question. Yeah, okay. And then uh, existence of evil, maybe I'll just put that as a question mark. Okay, so what what would good mean in the absence of evil? That's that's yeah. Being philosophical, that's good. <laughs> Why did God rest? Why did God rest? We're all the way. Where are we? Which verse is that? Uh, chapter two. Chapter two. Yeah. So let me put that on the bottom. But yeah, chapter two. I think it's repeated multiple times. Why did God rest? Interesting. Um, I think in the same verse, it's also like, I was wondering why there's seven days. Yeah. yeah. And why seven days as opposed to just creating instantaneously or making it eight days or... Hmm. After every day, it says, and there was evening, and there was morning. Like, why did, like, why does it mention that, like, six times? Yeah, yeah it's pretty repetitive, right? Um, especially, like, the first day, it's weird, because there's no stars and moon, so how would you even, yeah. how would you even measure that? But yeah, why day and night over and over again? And where did the light come from? Be created, but like how, like there wasn't like um. Like I think what you want to say is what's the source of light? Yeah. Like, so one thing I noticed, kind of jumping off of that, is mm -hmm. vegetation was created before the stars and sun and moon were created. I'm confused by that because usually when you learn in grade five, four, I don't know, like in science, oh, like it's the whole <laughs> universe is created in like all the stars, mm. then the planets, and we thought the planet Earth is probably one of the latest, last ones to develop, but it's kind of like, Earth is created, then the entire universe happened around it. Mm. Like, oh, that's confusing. So that'll be verse... No, but the light was created 15. first before the vegetation. Yeah, but what I'm confused is how come the lights 
in the sky were created after the vegetations on Earth. So like that. So the sun, the whole idea of sun and moon happening after, after the vegetation the, doesn't make sense to me. Sun and we'll just draw it down. Verse fifteen after. to sixteen. Oh, fifteen to sixteen. Fifteen sixteen. Yeah. And that's fourteen to sixteen. And the whole entire universe filled with skies. As sorry, stars, not skies. Sorry. Yeah. It talks about stars too. No, yeah, like I think from uh, a scientific standpoint, like with photosynthesis being so important, it does it is. I mean, it could be coming from the light from day one. It could be, but it is weird. It's definitely weird for sure. <laughs> also, did God make everything in a span of a week? Like talking about like human timing? Oh, like literal days? Yeah, or does God have his own type of day? Yeah. Very interesting. Nobody's asking about dinosaurs? I'm or the dinosaurs. <laughs> okay, so it's... <laughs> you can? always been something... About dinosaurs? Yeah. <laughs> Should I write that down? Dinosaurs? in verse 11 that at this point everything was just growing by itself like there was no need for physical labor. Oh, interesting yeah there's no gardeners but there's vegetation yeah hmm. so I'll, I'll even say sun and moon after and I'll put humanity after vegetation it's kind of it's kind of like the same type of question like don't you need a gardener to produce vegetables? don't you need sun that kind of thing hmm. Verse 28, what does the Nitsak Dominion over creation Yeah, what does the Dominion mean? That's a great question. And what are we doing right now? Yeah, and that's, uh, that would definitely cross over to application. What does that mean for us to have Dominion? Yeah, yeah, we were asking that too. Well, I was anyways, like, I was wondering, like, um, it says we can eat the vegetation, but um, Dominion, it, it, it described rule over the animals mm -hmm. rather than it didn't say in in what in what way. Hmm. Like it doesn't specify um, whether we can eat them or not yet. Anyways. Yeah. Specific. Oh wait. Oh sorry. Let me see the verse. Or diet. Verse. Yeah. Verse twenty-eight. I think. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Cool. And twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Yeah. Sorry. And maybe. Uh, We'll have chance to you know ask further questions, but any last minute like just burning to yeah, verse twenty six does make man in our own image. Mm. Yeah. What like just uh, do you have a question behind it or just that's just an interesting just the, just the, like the image part or just yeah yeah the image part yeah. There's a whole bunch of stuff here that is um, yeah, it's great. Um, and it's it's really and this is why one of the reasons why I think studying the Bible or exploring the Bible with brothers and sisters um, is really the way to go. Just because you know if you kind of do this by yourself, sometimes you wonder like, is this even important? Am I just kind of just like being lost in my thoughts? But it's great when you share something, and then somebody like you're like implicitly thinking that's exactly what I was wondering as well. Um, so I love the idea of doing it in a communal setting. And I know, so this is really the easy part, observation, because anybody can just kind of highlight things that are interesting, um, but you may not know what it actually means. 
Um, and this is where you know things can get kind of tricky because you can take something and you can really go down on a rabbit trail and <laughs> come up with some really weird ideas. Um, and that's why the communal setting, again, is really helpful because if you're going down that rabbit trail, the brother or sister next to you might be like, you know what, like, I don't think this passage is so much about dinosaurs. I think it's about something else. You know, just, so this is really helpful. So what we're going to do now is we're going to, uh, this is sort of like uh, the ingredients of this meal. And these ingredients are great, but you can't really eat uh, a meal just based on ingredients. The interpretation is sort of the, the process where you kind of bring some of the ingredients together so that it, you can see the meaning behind it and so that it can actually taste good. Uh, if we were to stop right here, then everybody would feel like you kind of missed out and your exploration into the Bible wasn't all that meaningful. Um, so yeah, interpretation is so important and it's also probably the trickiest part. Um, and one of the ways I feel like interpretation can be very helpful um, and that can be kind of much easier for us is um, to really understand what is the Bible trying to answer. The Bible isn't to, some of these questions, the Bible isn't really trying to answer about, um, I hate to pick on the dinosaur thing, but that's like <laughs> the easiest one, like the existence of dinosaurs. Or UFOs, what about other planets? What about, like, the, I'm not saying that those things are unimportant, but the way the Bible was written thousands of years ago, those weren't the types of questions that the Bible was really concerned about. And one of the reasons why we have such a hard time understanding the Bible in a meaningful way is because our questions are not necessarily the questions that the Bible is trying to answer. And really, there are five basic questions that the Bible is trying to answer over and over and over again, from Genesis to Revelation. And if you really understand these questions, it will not only help you understand the Bible more meaningfully, it will help you to understand the gospel in a way where it intersects every aspect of your life. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll go right into these questions. So the first question is um, the question of who is God? Uh, so really, from Genesis to Revelation, the fundamental question that the Bible is trying to answer is it's trying to tell all of us who God is, the character of God, the heart of God, the way God works, the way God interacts with people, all these different things. Uh, the second question that the Bible really wants to answer is who am I or what is humanity? Uh, so you're going to find out a lot of the things that God or the Bible is trying to say is who are we? What are we like fundamentally as humans? Another question is, uh, what is the problem? Uh, a question that the Bible repeatedly tries to answer is, what is the problem in our life? Where does evil and suffering come from? Fourth is, what is the solution? Actually, I'm going to put number four and three together because they're, I'll tell, you, tell us why in a second. What is the solution? And the fifth one is, what is God's and our purpose? Uh, the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, again, is going to try to tell us, what is our purpose? Where do we find meaning? Uh, why did God create us? These five questions, if you really understand the passages based on these questions, 
then trust me, you will be able to find much meaning in these passages. And as you do that, you'll be able to see how it actually intersects with your everyday life. Now, um, before we move on, there are two questions in our passage that this, there are two questions that the passage probably isn't too interested in. Uh, can anybody guess which questions those would be? So do we think just out of uh, just gut instinct, do you think that the passage is really trying to answer the first question, who is God? Yeah, definitely, right? Like, God is pretty much the main character of every verse. What about the second question? Who am I or who is humanity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there is the, uh, the idea of dominion and image. Um, what about the question of what is a problem? Probably not. Right? And why, why are we shaking our heads no? There is no problem in the passage we read so far. Yeah, so far we're kind of at the point where it's before the problem. Now, there is the idea of water and darkness. Now, if we really want to probe further, then it can probably link to this. But the passage doesn't speak too much about the problem. We'll get there in Genesis chapter 3, for sure. What about what is the solution? If there's no problem, there's really no no need for a solution. What about what is God's and our purpose? We definitely get that, right? The dominion, why God created us. So as much as I want to say that these five questions are questions that the Bible is trying to answer, not every passage is trying to answer these equally. In our passage, it's going to be focused mainly on number one, a little bit on two, and a little bit on five, and not so much on, on questions three and four. So um, does anybody have any questions about these questions? It makes sense, right? Okay. So based on... Um, these interpretive questions, maybe we'll tackle them in order. So who is God based on what we've read and maybe even some of the observations that we've noted? Because again, this is God's first introduction to all of humanity and every verse is pretty much about God. What are some things that we feel like God is really trying to emphasize in trying to make sure that we understand his character from this passage. And again, we can draw on some of these observations. Creator. Creator, yeah. And we're going to talk about, we're going to explore this a little bit more because, uh, you know, it's interesting, like, out of all the things that God introduces himself, it's not as a king. I mean, he is a king. It's not as God. I mean, he's God, of course but as creator. And when we kind of look into this more, we realize there's some surprising things that God is trying to communicate. What are some other things? He's good. He's good? So Did it come from you? Okay. Yeah. Sorry, because your mouth oh. kind of moved. It's also like, where did that come from? <laughs> uh, yeah, God's good. Mm. I think just when he repeats, it was good. All the time, meaning he creates things that are good. Yeah, you know what, let's put the two and two together. Because the fact that God constantly says things are good, what does that say about his character? Because part of it is, yeah, he is good. But just imagine if like this passage is about anybody else. Let's say, um, let's say it's about Parker, and he's doing his Lego set. And every part of his Lego construction, he says, wow, this is good. Wow, this is good. Like, what, what would we learn about Parker, or just anybody else, or about God? The fact that repeatedly he is saying, this is good. Oh, this is good. Like, he's not a judge. He's a judge? <laughs> That's true. 
So creator judge. He appreciates things. He appreciates things. I, I don't know how to say that more eloquently. So I just yeah. Say, he appreciates. I don't know. Oh, I just. He's, he's happy and satisfied with his creation. Yeah, happy. He appreciates. There's um. Joy. Joy. Yeah. It's 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 weird. It's kind of hard to put into words. Uh, appreciation. Um, maybe like a sense of pride. Pride in a good way. Like pride in your work. Very purposeful in his creation. Purposeful. Very purposeful, yeah. Where do you see purposeful? Um, like, what are some... like even like the creation of moon and sun. Mm. Like, moon is to provide light for the nighttime. Uh, sun is for protection or the light over the day. Yeah. So um, you know, a lot of the things that we saw that you're wondering, why would he do this? Why would he do that? Uh, why in seven? Like the seven days thing is I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that God is very, he's very meticulous in the way that he operates. It's not just, oh, I just feel like doing this this day. I woke up with a bad hair day, so I'm going to do, no, like there is a plan and he does it with a lot of thought. And authority, I guess, when he commands light to come into existence. I don't know if authority is one of them. No, I like that. Authority, power. Mm -hmm. Hmm. He's a guy of action, you know. He just goes ahead and says, "Let there be light," and there is light. You know? That's interesting because I I do sense the authority and power, but as far as the action part, what what's what do we? Is that how God kind of? What kind of actions does he do in this passage over and over again? He speaks. He speaks, and does he do anything else other than speaking? He hovers. <laughs> yeah, the spirit of God. He observes. He observes. Yeah. Com commands. Yeah, a lot of speaking and a lot of. <clears throat> man, we're kind of running out of room. Um, observing. Where, where do you want to flesh out that part? The observing part. In verse four, God saw the light, so and that it was good. Mm. So there's like some observation. It's not. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. But the speaking part, I think, is really interesting because I think we even mentioned it. Oh, here, who is God talking to in verses 3 to 26 and 26? Um, what, are, what are some things that we can learn about God's character, the fact that he speaks? Because he actually doesn't create anything himself. He just, everything that is being in existence is through his speech. His word is living. His word is definitely, so there is some authority and power for sure. His word itself has power. Like, his word is the uh, mechanics behind creation. Yeah, no, I, I... Usually when we make stuff, like, we need machinery to make things. Mm -hmm. We need ingredients to make things. But God's word itself is the ingredient to make matter. Right. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then that kind of, kind of goes back to the idea of, like, it is like the goodness. Like, how can there be good without evil? But God kind of, almost like speaks it into existence, sort of. So there was a void, like water and darkness. It's just like nothing. It's nothing, and then uh, creates good. Yeah. But then why would he speak though? 
Because he could have done that just with his thoughts. He could have created everything just... God chose to. We don't know. So that it gets... Actually... He has beings to create stuff for him. Like angels, maybe, or his son was there, the Holy Spirit, he knows, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Be confident. But, yeah, there's no angels. It's just, he oh, speaks, no. and oh. it's just happening. Very yeah, just entirely clear, like, yeah, whether the speech is the method, or whether something happens in between. Hmm. Yeah. Right, like, maybe, like, an angel, yeah. like, a, yeah. you know, like. Because what's on here, I'm thinking, could be like a condensed form of what actually mm -hmm. is involved in the process. Mm -hmm. That's true. I like taking the literal approach when I look at the Bible. So when God speaks, things appear. We don't understand the how, it just is. Mm. I think I, yeah, I, I'm comfortable just believing it just, as it's okay. written. All right, no, that's good. Yeah. It's, um, so one of the things about studying it as blocks of passages, it's good because you get to zoom in, but it's also a negative because you don't see how some of these things develop in chapter 2, chapter 3. I mean, we'll see that in the coming weeks, but speaking becomes so important because, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Because I feel like it's a word, it's like it's, it can be recorded, and word is... To, I, I, to I, I just like get what you're trying to say. Yeah. It's like it could be recorded, and it's like living, and we have to. I have to. I have to check a passage to mm. to stand by what I want to say. No, you don't have to be right. Don't feel like it. Just say what's honest. Oh, okay, so this in John chapter one verse mm -hmm. one, it says, "Word is God." Mm -hmm. So I feel like by speaking, he speaks it in words and he shows that that is also God but it's I don't think I'm making sense right now but I no I think you're onto something for sure because it's hard to kind of put it like into the precise words but I definitely yeah like the beginning was the word uh -huh. was with God and what yeah. was God yeah. yeah I think like the thing with speaking also is like it involves it's communicating. Um, Interesting. To like, there has to be a recipient. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, unless you talk to yourself. <laughs> right. Are you making fun of God right now? You're really close. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> you almost left that guy just now. No, but I think all of us are kind of hinting <clears throat> at something, and it's and again, the communal setting is great because somebody pitches an idea, and then it's almost like a snowball effect. And I think what you mentioned is, is really, like, if, again, just imagine, so, like, Parker working on his Lego set. Sorry, I'll use a different example. Somebody who's just working, and they're constantly talking and saying things. Like, what, uh, part of it is, you might think that person's kind of crazy, but there's another side where, kind of like what, what you're alluding to, what Wynn is mentioning, is there is this desire to communicate. And I, I understand what Sarah is saying. Hey, let's just take it what it's at, what it's worth. But then verse twenty six is interesting because all of a sudden, God's not just talking to Himself. What do we see in verse twenty six? Good us. Yeah, there's somebody. There are other people that God has in mind, 
And then if you fast forward to, was it verse 27 and 28? Or verse 28? What's happening there? We have the same, like man has the same purpose to be fruitful and multiply as... But how does humanity know that? Because God said it. God is speaking to humanity. So the idea of communication, the idea of a recipient, what we see is God is a speaking, and this is going to become so much clearer in the subsequent. He's very relational. Like this guy, he, like he could easily just create things and just mind his own business, like most of us when we work. But our God, when he creates, he's being very relational through and through. Uh, a lot of people, actually a lot of religions, they would consider God as, I don't know if you've ever heard, like a deistic God, a God who, cr he created everything, but he doesn't care about humanity. He created everything and then he just minds his own business. And that's what, you know, yeah, I can't think of specific religions. But yeah, they had this idea of a very deistic portrayal of God. But again, this is God's first impression. The way God introduces himself is, hey, I'm a worker who speaks. I, I talk all the time. It might sound like I'm crazy because I'm speaking when it seems like, but I'm actually trying to communicate to humanity what humanity's purpose is. No other religion is nearly as explicitly, is their God explicitly relational as our God here. Uh, what are some other things, whether we want to piggyback on that idea or maybe we want to continue to flesh out this idea of who is God based on this passage or some of these observations? Uh, verse 28, as part of like who is God, he says he blesses the humanity, so he blesses others. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, he blesses, and this kind of bleeds into humanity. So there's this idea where whoever this God is, he's blessing us, humans. And maybe this is a good segue into how is humanity described in this passage? Oh, unless if you want to piggyback. Just go. one more yeah. thing. He looks like us. He looks like us. Where do you <laughs> see that? He created us in, our, in his own image. So That's true. He must look like us. <laughs> Isn't it that we look like him? Yeah, we look like him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, very good. And this is uh, where the image language comes in. Um, yeah, this right now is sort of a question mark, but what do we know about... So the only way we can understand who humanity is, what our image is, is if we know God better. Right? Like, how do we know what our image is unless we know who God is. But what are some things that we can kind of extract from? So if this is who God is, then what are some things we can say, okay, so that's who, who I should be like as well, or that, that's how God created me as well. He specifically made male and female. Male and female? <clears throat> yes. And... Uh, does that have, um, what kind of significance or meaning does that have? Um, I feel like 
I don't want to offend anybody, but in our present generation right now, um, a lot of people are very confused of which gender they are, but then in the Bible, it clearly says you are male or you are female. There's no in-between, there's no they or anything. Mm -hmm. So, I, yeah. Okay. Any other thoughts? Whether it's on this or just who is humanity? Yeah, it's dominion over um, other creatures. Right. That's really important, the dominion. So whatever image is, has something to do with dominion. And before we get to the idea of what does dominion look like, what does it mean for us to have dominion over creation, what does this say about who God is, that God would give us dominion over his creation? So a couple of things. Um, to answer your question, I think it's that he has uh, either a trust or he's given us a purpose. Mm. So he's given us that responsibility. And um, I, I guess it just a couple of other points of who are we. First of all, we're God's creation. Mm. And then we are blessed by God. He, he said specifically, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful. Um, so based on his creation now he's giving us the responsibility or the the trust or the authority to watch over his stuff mm -hmm. yes I, I just noticed another thing though what he's he he blesses then he says he gives the man and woman or male and female a command and then he provides them with their needs so it, it's an interesting sequence that's as tells them what to do first, and then he says, I'll provide you with all the food and things that you need to, to be able to do it. Mm. As opposed to, here's all the food, and now I'm going to tell you to do something. So I don't know if the sequence is important, but... Um, yeah, no, that's interesting that you bring that up. Um, like, there's a purpose first, and then he mm -hmm. enables. Yeah. Is it interesting at all that God gives us dominion over everything that he just created? Yeah, I mean, like, sometimes you think about it like God has dominion over everything, but then how is it that humanity also has dominion? Or is it that humanity has a dominion and God doesn't have dominion? Or, like, how does that work? Mm. It's like... What are the dynamics? Yeah. 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 Mm. Well, but then again, if you look at it, it's conditional over limited amount. So we have dominion over the fish and the sea, birds of the heavens, and every living thing that moves on the earth. So it's like God's giving dominion over these three types of living organisms, but God didn't give dominion over the sky, earth, what itself is. So like God still has the dominion over the rest of creation. Right. So if you look at it that way, it's like... Okay, so this is everything is mine. I still have control. Those little three things you can control. So it's like a delegated authority that's kind of partial. You want more authority? Is that why? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just saying. No, no, no. That's a good point. Yeah. But then the three things that God has entrusted to us, how are they described in the passage? How does God create them? 
we talked about it a little bit. It was he, he takes a lot of pride. He appreciates there's joy in the way that he creates all the things that Sarah mentioned. What are some other things that we see about the way God creates those things? There's another phrase that kind of gets repeated over and over again. According to its kind. Yeah. And what do you think that says about who God is? Again, the meticulous and purposeful part. Yeah, he's very purposeful, very meticulous, and also like um, maybe creative. He doesn't just create one type of fish. He creates like, and we, we can see it just in our observable world today, billions of species, and God creates all of them according to their kind. So not only does God create with great pride, joy, purpose, meticulousness, all that, but with creativity, and then he entrusts all of that to whom? Like it's it's one of those things where like if you've ever worked really hard on something, I won't use a Lego example, like something that's like a little bit more costly, and you entrust it to like your little sibling. Well, not even your, your like you entrust it to your creation. Like that's a very bold, very a radical privilege blessing that God has given us. I think something else I noticed is that like it's not like they earned their way to, I guess like be in this position. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they had like a resume and God was like, okay, I choose you. Mm-hmm. But He simply just like delegated it, not because they had the skills. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and He probably created us because we were created in His image with the capacity to be able to. Like, he probably gave us all the prerequisite abilities, skills to do it in response. And we'll see in Genesis 3 how everything kind of goes haywire. But it's important for us to kind of understand Genesis 1 because, you know, when you get to Genesis 3, I know some of us, we kind of grew up in the church. One of the criticisms is, man, it's just, an, it's just a fruit. Isn't God being so harsh in his punishment? But when we paint this picture of how the Bible is trying to portray God, as somebody who's such a joyful, purposeful, meticulous, creative worker who gives all of this to us, and then when we defy him, wow, you realize, okay, God has every right to be PO'd. He has every right to, like, in, in fact, we were, the way he punished us is very merciful. How would we, um... Well, I'll have some closing words at the end, but how will we tackle this last question of what is God's in our purpose? Based on maybe some of the things we talked about here or some of our observations, like what would you say, and don't feel pressure to like get the bullseye, but what are some things that you feel like are, that has to be part of our purpose or that has to be part of God's purpose? I think like for me, uh, I think one thing that has been just on my mind, um, I think Pastor Will preached on Genesis 1 a couple years ago, um, and he was saying like, we are created in God's image, saying, meaning that uh, we have the likeness to be like him, but we can't be completely like God. Um, but we have the qualities to be um, like him, 
And I think another thing that came up was that, um, I don't know if this is right, but I've, I like read, um, did, I watched a video and saying that God created basically two human beings. So first is Adam and Adam fell short, right? And Jesus was uh, the second person uh, God uh, technically created. And, uh, the, and I think um, Jesus is the perfect example of God because he is the son that we, and that he should be the example that we should strive to be more like uh, especially since we do fall short of the glory of God. Um, yeah, that just kind of came up to my head and yeah. Yeah, no, that's really cool because like, you know, once you start reading like the rest of scripture, especially like Romans 5 where Paul makes, you know, Jesus as a second Adam, like once you kind of really like soak in this, those passages mean so much more. And it hits you that much harder and you're able to appreciate much more of the depth of what the Bible is trying to say. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. I really like the, the word relational, the one you underlined. Mm. And I feel like that's our purpose. And, and, and for me anyways, from what I get from this is to, you know, relate to each other, get along, not, uh, uh, and, um, you know, um, with joy, I guess, like joyfully, you know, get along with each other, really. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it becomes like lot, this yeah. theme becomes like it starts screaming at you as you kind of go through chapter by chapter. Yeah, like how, how Gloria was saying about this generation. I think I find a lot of people isolating themselves, mm-hmm. and, and, and it causes a lot of like physical and mental illnesses and stuff. And I, I think, you know, if you just, you know, um, be there for each other, I think, you know, there will be a lot of healing. Anyways. Oh, very good. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, I think uh, fundamentally, I think one thing that we can say is we are created to relate to God. Like God could have just related with God and each other, but I would say first with God because um, God could have just created us and put us to work and that's it. But instead, he actually speaks to us. And not only that, but he creates us in his image. So if we want to learn more about ourselves, we have to learn more about God. Like he set this up. He designed everything so that we relate with him. All right. Um, God's, like, God's in relation to the relational. So the way it flows is God's the source of life. And then humanity uses that to take care of the rest of creation because like God created life but then he's telling humanity to recreate mm-hmm. like fill the earth like make more human beings and also take care of the existing other creatures yeah no that's great like there is a uh, there is a distinct like um, chain of command chain of command and it's, it's interesting because what we see later is you know as long as we are in this chain of command abiding in God, and then everything else, like creating dominion, living your life, vocational aspirations, relation, everything just falls into place. But it's interesting because the way the Bible talks about the problem, and this is like a sneak preview, is we want to do everything except relate with God. 
It's just so funny how we want to be able to do creation, we want to be able to do dominion, we want to be able to do relationships, all these things, but just X out this part and we'll be fine. And that's how everything just kind of spirals out of control. So yeah, I'm glad that you are able to kind of pick up on that pattern. And we see it right here in the opening chapter. Well, so I think you said in one of your sermons a few months ago where uh, you said like, the reason why God rested on the seventh day is because he wanted to relate with us, meaning that it shouldn't be like God specifically rested on the seventh day so that we could rest also. That's why he blessed. Uh, seventh day and made it holy yeah let's turn to that actually um it's a great segue and i didn't we didn't stage this this is that's a great segue can somebody reread for everybody genesis chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 because uh, other than uh these two yeah actually we're going to be able to tackle these questions um there's a net, another added dimension of what we can learn so can somebody just read the first three verses Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that, that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from, from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Yeah. It's, um, it's just three verses, but does anybody notice like what is repeated over and over again? It almost feels like, almost sounds like a broken record, like the way those verses are, are written. Finished. Finished. And done. It's rested. Rested. Finished and rested. Finished and rested. There's something more than finished. But yeah, rested for sure. We see the rest over and over again. Another thing that most people work. don't really... Yeah, work. So you see work three times, right? Verse 2 and twice again in verse... No, twice in verse 2 and once in verse 3. And then rest. And it's almost interesting, it's interesting because those two, work and rest... They're repeated over and over again. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, um, again, this is God's first impression. He doesn't portray himself as a king. He doesn't portray himself as a master, even though he is those things. But he portrays himself, when we talk about having joy, appreciation, pride, purposeful, meticulous, he portrays himself as a worker. More than anything else, he portrays himself as somebody who works and therefore he rests. And uh, part this, this is significant for two reasons. Uh, one is because uh, back in the day, uh, in ancient Mesopotamian cultures, there's a lot of stories, not a lot, but there are stories, creation accounts. And the reason why those gods create humanity is because those gods don't want to work. <laughs> they want the humans to do all the work. Gods are really lazy, they want to rest. It's funny because our God says, not only am I going to create everything, but I'm going to portray myself as a worker. Um, and it's, you know, for people back in the day, for them to sit, to see, you know, our God actually values work. Because again, back in the day, you're a farmer. You're working six days a week. 
if you're in Israel, but seven days a week if you're any, part of any other people group, and you're constantly working, and for them, and every other God is, they despise work. But all of a sudden, you hear of a God who actually values your work, and who created you in the image of a worker, who takes pride, who takes joy, who takes purpose in work. That is amazing. And the second reason why that's significant is because today, especially today, and this is why God's word is timeless, is because um, it's really important for people to understand that whatever work that you're a part of, whether you're in nursing, whether you're in the medical profession, whether you're an engineer, it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be spiritual. God values your work. He understands what it means to take pride in your work, to be purposeful, to be meticulous. All these things that we look for in a good employee today, those are all characteristics that come from God himself. Uh, and one of the things I really want to emphasize, um, especially because I know most people who go to church, they're not missionaries, they're people who work. And right from chapter one, God places great value in the things that you do. So, um, yes, let me just put worker here. What are some ways that we can kind of, uh, I hate to use an application because sometimes application may not result in action. It might just be a reorienting of the way you think, the way you look at work, the way you look at life, the way you look at God, the way you look at yourself, the way you look at purpose, all these different things. But yeah, maybe we can kind of conclude our time like what are some things that we learn from this passage that actually intersects with our life? That's originating from Genesis 1. So God created the world in seven days, and that Christian concept carried through in our daily work. I don't think people even realize, but then I just realized now too. It's like, oh, I guess I have it better than God because I have Saturday and Sunday off because I guess things have improved. We only need to work five days a week. <laughs> so that's definitely one application to be extra thankful for the extra day weekend. So five days of work should be like, oh, I'm kind of doing what God did, but less than what God's doing, so I shouldn't be complaining about work, but I be thankful. It's like, yeah, yeah, I have work to do for five days. Kind of, I'm being image of God, working five days, and I get one extra day off. Yeah, so that's my application. I think what Michael said about like being relational, relational with one another, because mm. um, I'm guilty of isolating myself from people, and because of that, like depression happens and this anxiety stuff like that. But yeah, I think this relational relational aspect really hits me. Mm. That's, that's why I'm here as well. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. And it's funny, like, and not to, like, do all these sneak previews, but Genesis 3 is funny because the way Adam and Eve responds is by withdrawing themselves. It's just, 
yeah. It's not just a Gloria thing. That's just like a, all of us. Whenever maybe like Satan uses that to trick us, but one of our first things that we do is withdraw ourselves, isolate ourselves. And we see that not just in contemporary life, but all the way from Genesis. I can personally relate to what you said. Um, and I believe that after Jesus came, if you are in Christ, you're constantly at rest and in peace. So I am thankful that we also live in a generation where we are, we've received the grace of God, where we can rest not only on Sundays, but through Christ we can rest every day. Mm. But um, also like work at the same time for him. Um, but work is not like an actual work of slavery, but it's like within freedom and you can work for him with joy. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean the Jesus factor is huge. It's uh, an eternal rest that we can experience even today. I have a, I guess I have a question about um, being relational and versus like being isolated. Is that saying that it's not good to withdraw? Because I guess like I'm thinking of like in the New Testament when Jesus like withdraws from the crowd. Mm. Is that him not being relational with other people or? Yeah, no, that's great. Um, but then when Jesus withdrew by himself, those for the purpose of prayer, so he's spending time with God. So I think what I'm connecting it is we are meant to be relational, so we're never supposed to be alone. We either need to be with God or with others at all times. So when I'm when we're alone, we're not supposed to be alone alone. We're supposed to be spending time with God. That's what I'm kind of interpreting yeah. not to be always like socializing mm-hmm. and all of that and connecting with your brothers and sisters but to also have that alone time to just reflect and yeah yeah like uh, how many of us are introverts like most of us right <laughs> in every room is oh all of us wow <laughs> except for the did you not well I'm like 55% yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, no, like I think I like the moderation part. I think um, like really it's, it's, it's this chain of like we are connected with God and you know another way Jesus says, you know, we're connected to the vine. Um, and then as we, our relationship with God is secure, that's where we're able to do all these other things. Um, so yeah, like it's not like we're meant to be social butterflies. It's always being connected to God. But one of the ways that you connect with God is through brothers and sisters in Christ, through the community. Um, that's why the church is called the body of Christ. If you want to connect with Christ, you connect also with this body, i.e. the church. Um, so yeah, that's a good question. And yeah, I like what Sarah mentioned where he withdraws himself in order to connect with God. So he's withdrawing himself in order to relate with God. So it's still for a relational purpose. He's just redirecting it. But yeah, I don't, I don't want us to feel like we have to be social butterflies because, um, yeah, that's, it's more of, um, there are times where you know that you're just withdrawing and you're not doing it to connect with God. You're not doing it, you're just, it's just an unhealthy thing. Um, yeah. 
Does that help? So I guess like in that sense, how do you know if like your yeah. the purpose of withdrawing is to be relational with God? Like what if I'm just tired of socializing and I just want to be by myself? So this is where, like, um, even, like, being tired and resting physically, um, like, for me, at least, I look at that as relating with God. Because when I rest, I'm doing it because of Genesis 2. I mean, part of it is because my body is saying, I need rest, I need rest. But as I've been maturing and walking with God, I realize that's not just my body saying that. My body is saying that because God created my body to be because of Genesis 2. God created a pattern for me to rest. So even in my rest and just me just saying, like, I need to just have my me time, I look at that as um, I'm doing it in the presence of God. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I think what I hear of that um, question, when the thing that always comes up in my mind being an introvert is when I'm uh, isolating myself uh, in kind of the context that Gloria mentioned, it's because I'm trying to hide or I'm, I'm trying to deal with something that I don't want to deal with. So it's almost like I'm running away from as opposed to you know, re-energizing or resting or, or having fellowship with God. So it, there's almost a, I don't know if I would call it a negative, but it's a, it's partly a fear and it's partly a, because deep down I know that there's something that I'm not wanting to face. I don't know if that helps, but that for me, that's a trigger that I know there's something that I'm probably not doing that's healthy for me. And I think we ourselves kind of know, like <coughs> we, like we can lie to other people, but we can't really lie to ourselves. In our head, we know whether I'm truly taking a rest because I need a rest, period. Like I haven't slept in like 12 hours, so it's time to sleep, versus I have, as you said, like things to deal with, but I don't want to deal with this, so I'm just going to avoid it. Like we would know if we're in avoidance or in isolation or we are like truly resting because we need rest. I think that's something we will know at that situation what we're doing. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. There's also that instance when Paul first became a follower of Christ. He kind of didn't really um, communicate with other believers, and yeah. he went off on his own to preach. Yeah, he was kind of so. banished back because uh, he was causing too much problems. Um, yeah, so there is like... Um, you know, there's a season for, and when you think about Moses, how he was stranded in the desert. When you think of Jesus, how he was one, like, being tempted in 40 days. So, yeah, there are instances like that. So, um, yeah. But I would just say, um, yeah, it's not always black and white. I mean, I think that's why we need to be led by the Spirit. Um, I do hesitate, like, thinking that we would know instinctively because... You know, the heart is deceitful above all things, as it says in Jeremiah. And we're able to twist things and we're able to say, hey, this is just my season. But that season lasts for like 10 years and you haven't gone to church yet. You know, like th th there are stories like that. 
And that's just our simple tendency where we can't even trust ourselves. And I think that's why um, you know, we really need to have like a repentant mentality of recognizing we might be in the wrong. And it's not a, that's not a good formula, but it's one of those things where it makes us that much, um, we need to relate with God that much more because we can't really trust ourselves. And there are those you know, different circumstances where God puts us in seasons. But if your relationship with God is strong, then you know God wants me here. You know, can I just riff off of what Paul was saying and other people in response to what Wynn was uh, wondering? Um, so, um, what was I saying? Like, okay, about the thing that you said about Jesus, right? But I think there are like mentions of um, possible people getting depressed in the Bible too, like the prophet who feared for his life. Yeah, Elijah. Queen, when, yeah, when yeah. the queen wanted to murder him, mm. and he just, just ran away and uh, ended up sleeping for I don't know how many days in yeah. the, in the, under a tree, and yeah. and then um, and then there's Job, and then there's all these other instances. I can't think of them all, but yeah. I kind of like what you're saying. I, I didn't think of that that way, but that was kind of neat. Anyways, no, yeah, like Jonah, Elijah, those are great. Uh, Job, those are great yeah. examples. I think that's a little different than when, you know, Jesus was uh, uh, one to spend time with God, right? Or, yes, yes. Yeah. But I think, you know, I, I love the way you kind of mentioned those things because it just shows that being a Christian, it doesn't mean that it's like a cookie-cutting, like every day is going to be like peaches and cream type of thing. There are, there are valleys, there are ebbs and flows, and that's just part of the way God relates with us. I think for me, uh, just going back to the topic of things, I think for me the co-working thing is important. Um, just because I'm, a, I think I'm pretty lazy at times. But then I, like, my brother reminded me that like even in heaven there's work, and then now it's like okay, even before creation there's like in the sense there's work. So it's like it's good to know that like work is valuable to God, and that it's an area where He wants to do something about. Yeah. Yeah. That's great, yeah. Even in the new creation, we'll be working. But it will be like great work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, like everybody has moments where work felt so gratifying. Mm-hmm. That's the way it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And it will definitely be like that in the new creation. Like, I, I think just to emphasize, there's so many people that I talk to that feel like they're stuck in a dead-end job or they just don't have purpose or the, they, they don't have satisfaction. And the overriding message that I'm, in terms of application of this, is that God has designed us to really take pride and take joy and and do the best that we can in 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 our work. So, you know that that's very different from what you would expect or, or think is like that's a very unexpected application of this. And then just the other one for me is um, remembering. God didn't talk about relating to other people first in this chapter. The first thing that he mm-hmm. talks about or that's described is how relational he is um, himself and how much he would want to relate to us through the responsibility that he's given us, the fact that he's blessed us, the fact that he speaks to us. Um, so it's pretty powerful to remember and acknowledge that God really is a relational God and we shouldn't be running away from him. We should always remember that sequence and the priority of him being relational with us first. 
good stuff. Anybody else want to share? Um, I have a subsequent question, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I like your questions. I like your questions. Um, so, um, can can we like unpack what being relational means? I guess, mm. and like, is it the same thing as fellowship? Right. Wow. What do you mean question. by fellowship? I guess that's essentially what I'm asking. Okay. Like, is fellowship? the same as being relational yeah so I guess when so so far in this chapter we don't know too much about the details behind what relational is we just know that this God that is like really powerful and um, is there from the beginning of time he wants to communicate and relate with us um, and what does that look like Part of that looks like uh, us obeying his commands. So he's telling us to have dominion um, and to multiply. And part of our relationship with God, part of us to relate with him is not just simply, oh, like he's my best friend and, you know, whatever I do, I'm sure he's part of it is like we obey what he tells us to do. Um, Like, so God, I like when somebody says, you know, more than anything else, we're God's creation. We're not just buddy buddies with God. We are, we do obey him. So when we say relating with God, um, I would say this passage talks much more about relating with God. It doesn't really spell out the details of relating with each other. But relating with God fundamentally, we obey Him. We do obey Him. Um, and then the other thing relating with God is the idea of us like uh, mimicking Him. So like He's resting, so we rest. So it's this idea where what He does, we do as well. Um, I think there are some other things like relating with God also is us bearing the image. So all the things that we talked about with him having dominion, all the all the joy that he has in his work, being purposeful, being meticulous, those are all ways that we can actually relate with God because he created us in with those type of abilities. So like one of the things I loved when I used to work in software development, not spiritual whatsoever. I'm in front of a computer, I'm writing code for a client, um, but as I was kind of maturing in my walk with God, especially with Genesis chapter one, all the way to chapter two, is I realized like me, like like leading my technical team and interacting with clients and creating a project plan, all those things, that was actually my way of relating with God. And I really felt that at work. Um, so relating with God, I think, it, it does boil down to obeying him, but it's also very diverse when we do things like taking pride in our work, being purposeful. I think those are all ways of relating with God as well. So it's not just um, go to Sunday, just go to church, go on a bunch of mission trips, go to this retreat, join a small group, but really like everything that we do, because we bear his image, like you can't not relate with God. Does that help or not, really? Yeah. So I guess, like, I'm kind of getting, like, it's, like, us reflecting his traits. Yeah, it's almost like, reflect, like, we can't help but to reflect his traits, but it's more like, almost part of it is being conscious of it. Yeah. I, I guess one thing, I'm, I'm, in terms of the last question, it's kind of related, what is God's purpose and our purpose? 
And when we think about the work context, one of the things that's, that's become very impressed upon me or obvious to me in my own work is kind of a realization of what, how God has really built me and what gifts or talents that he's blessed me with for me to be able to, to carry out. And, it, you know, as I talk to a lot of people, it, there's always a struggle in trying to figure out what you're supposed to do at work. And, and I think that really is one of the purposes, is God's intended us to do what he's designed us to do. And part of that is going through a discovery process of what kind of work should you be doing that would give you joy and give you pride and, and just that you're passionate about. And it's something that I'm, again, personally just very fortunate to have, well, it's taken me a long time, but I've mm-hmm. kind of figured out what I'm, I really enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's something that I really, I think, resonate with in this passage when we talk about what is the, really the purpose and how does God do this, how does he model it, and how does he expect us to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I was doing, um, I was talking to, uh, I got his permission to share this. Uh, everybody knows Sam from our church. Sam, uh, Yejin's husband, Sam. Sam O. Sam O. Oh, yeah. uh, he has two little boys. I think his oldest boy is two years old or three years old ish. Three. three. And um, his boy loves eating pizza, right? Um, and then uh, he was eating pizza. He loves it. Um, but then the dad, Sam, said, hey, uh, I don't know his name. You know uh, Maddie. Maddie, okay. Maddie, do you know Daddy loves pizza too? And as soon as he said that to Maddie, Maddie's eyes lit up. And he looked at his pizza slice and he looked at Daddy. And then all of a sudden, like, uh, eating pizza for Maddie is relating with his dad. Just because Sam said, like, he forged this bond. Like, you know, like, implicitly he's basically saying the reason why you like that pizza pie is because you're my son. And I know that sounds like really cheesy, but it's similar to the way uh, God created us in his image, is we do certain things that we love. These are passions of ours. These are things that we're very good at. Whatever. We don't play, and we think, oh, that's just the way I am. But according to this passage, God created us like that. And God is basically saying, do you know why you're so good at that? Or do you know why you love doing that? It's because I created you like that. And all of a sudden, that forges. Every time you do that, it's like you're relating with God. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that that is one way to relate with Him. Now, that's not like the sole way. Like obeying Him is fundamental. That's foundational. But I think relating with Him is also just us, like understanding how God created us. And that that could be work. That could be like, like your love for sports. Like it, it's just what obviously. That's where, you know, Genesis chapter 3, when everything goes wrong, is we take the things that God has blessed us with and we make idols of that. <laughs> That's where everything kind of goes downward. But yeah. Does that help? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is interesting because oftentimes I think of um, relating to God as like a purely fellowship thing. Um, but then there's other aspects. Like I like what you said, like you can't really not relate with God. Um, and it's a dynamic thing, I guess. It's like a multifaceted thing. Interesting. No, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, it's like it's like you're always relating with God. You're either rejecting Him or you're appreciating Him. Like that's every human in the world. Every second of the day, 
you are relating with God, you're either rejecting him or you're, you're appreciating him. There's no middle ground. It actually relates back to the original comment in a way when you say, when you're isolating yourself. You know, in a way, when you're isolating yourself, there's, um, there's things about rejecting what, how God has made you and if there's certain things that you know you're either uncomfortable about or not confident about in traits or behaviors of who you are and who God has made you to be then you're effectively you're rejecting God's creation and design and if you really aren't comfortable with that then that's really you know how you start to isolate yourself from others because you're not confident in how God created you and you know, that's where I think relating to others becomes more difficult as well. Hmm. Yeah, also because of like, uh, not just confidence, but also maybe confidence has been affected by, you know, traumatic experiences or, you know, hurt and stuff like that. Yeah. Anyways, that's just... No, those, that, that's, that's great. That's huge. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so like everything that we're sharing or everything that is like, this is sort of like, um, like in a very like, uh, like ideal formulaic thing, but life, because there are traumatic experiences, it complicates all everything that we're talking about. Um, so yeah, like I don't want it to sound like um, like it's. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up. But it's good to know what it was meant to be, so that we we so, you know, otherwise, yeah, then you're just completely lost. I'm gonna ask. We can ask a question. Um, Sometimes I think about like what Paul was saying about like understanding who God made you to be and understanding the way things are. Sometimes I get confused with like today's culture because like I get to sometimes they say the idea that like you should love yourself, you should understand who you are and appreciate. Let's say in the church even who God made you to be, but at times like it's hard to know whether something is the way it is because like sometimes I'm confused because sometimes I don't know if it's out of a corruption, essentially? Like, how do we know that um, this is how God made you to be mm -hmm. and that this is something God wants to restore in you or whether this is something that has, is a corruption to begin with and it's something, like, whether it's something that God wants, yeah. Anyways, it's... That culture created as opposed mm -hmm. to came from God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like even in searching, like sometimes people talk about the idea of like understanding yourself and knowing who you are, like, so that's, you have to know who that is with respect to God. Otherwise, like, who are you restoring yourself to? I, th I think sometimes, and like, yeah. It's a, it's a confusing question. That's, that's a great question. Yeah. We won't be able to, because I want to make sure, I want to be respectful to people's time. Mm -hmm. So we're going to close in prayer, but that's such a, and that's why these five questions, believe it or not, are so important. Because if we have a laser sharp understanding of how the Bible answers these questions, then what you describe, which is like something we see in, in our society all the time, whether it's like controversial topics, whatever, you'll be able, you'll be able to sift through it and, and recognize like, yeah. Let me pray for us, just because I want to be, res but that's that's such a good question. Um, let, me, let me just officially close because I want to be respectful to people's time. 
Uh, Father, I just want to thank you for giving us an opportunity to dig into your word. We thank you that though your word was written thousands of years ago, it is still so alive today. And when we explore it together, uh, it's not just some ancient text that is irrelevant to us, but even as we've been talking and sharing, uh, there are so many scenarios in our own lives where your word is so relevant and intersects. And I pray that uh, more and more may your word truly take hold in our life uh, in its rightful place. Uh, may you be the standard um, and may we be able to live our lives according to what you say. May we look at you according to the way you portray yourself. May we look at our lives according to who you say we are. Uh, so Lord, we just want to uh, confess to you that our hearts are so deceitful. Uh, we are so easily confused by society, but we thank you that you have given us not only your word, but your spirit, and you have given us a community, uh, other brothers and sisters, where we can bounce these ideas off each other. Uh, I also pray just for this uh, brothers, uh, this community of brothers and sisters, and I just pray that as we continue to explore your word, I pray that not only would you deepen our relationship with you fundamentally, uh, may that truly be um, the primary thing, but Lord, may you also forge relationships with each other where we can uh, truly uh, see Christ in one another and be encouraged and challenged. Uh, we thank you and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, um, so yeah, this will pretty much be the format. Um, we're gonna, we're not gonna go through every chapter. Um, I'll pick and choose like the ones that are very good for group study. Like this is a really good one. Um, next week, I think it will be Genesis chapter three. Um, so if you wanna read Genesis on your own, that'd be great and that way you have like questions or whatever. Um, yeah, so uh, that's it and um, this is officially over. And just not to live a cl cliffhanger, but like the idea of certain things being, so yeah, you're welcome to leave. I, I wanna be respectful to people's time. But yeah, like the idea of like what's a corruption. Um, one thing that you'll learn is nothing is inherently evil, nor is anything inherently good. Um, I know that sounds like I'm like just swimming in this world of subjectivity, but really like the only, like it's, it's all dependent on if you're doing it in your relationship with God. And pretty much if you have that, everything is, any, anything and everything is good. Um, and again, like I know that's how some cults start. They're, they're thinking that's what they're doing uh, within reason of what scripture says. But that's a very helpful principle because you're going to uh, talk about a lot of like controversial topics. But at the end of the day, it's really, that's not really the issue. It's more like, are you doing it out of submission to God or are you doing it for any other reason? Mm -hmm. and, and once you have that as your building block, then you can add on other things, but that has to be foundational. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about specifics later, but I just, I didn't want to leave yeah, it. Like, yeah. Is this weekly or bi-weekly? Uh, what do weekly? Oh, what do you guys think? You think weekly is too much? It's not bad, yeah. It's pretty good. Oh, so we're <laughs> okay.